You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. This morning we're going to just continue uh, in the book of Hebrews and we we got up to chapter 4 and uh, verse 14 to 16 was the last message I preached on that. So we're going to finish off chapter 4 and start having a look at chapter 5. But this message is going to be a little bit of a different message. It's going to be more of an information session. I know that most times uh, when I speak, uh, I'm always telling you it's not information, it's not information. Uh, We need revelation from God. But in this case, we need information. (laughs) Because we're talking about a topic that is extremely foreign to us. And... uh, and also, if we don't understand what this uh, topic is all about, basically the rest of Hebrews isn't going to make sense. So it's pretty important that we get, we just lay some foundations here. But let's just pray before we begin. Father, we, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you arise in the midst of our praises. And we just want to welcome you to come and minister into our lives. I pray that you would help us to understand Uh, your word and these concepts. I pray that we'd have an incredible uh, picture of you, Jesus. Uh, Maybe maybe we're going to see some things that we've never seen before about you. I pray that you would just shed light on this topic, help us to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning's message is the role of the high priest. And uh, I grew up in South Africa and we had this thing in South Africa uh, called open gardens. And what would happen is uh, people would open their gardens to the public. Those who had really good gardens, you'd kind of sign up and you'd allow the public uh, to come in and, ha- and browse around over a few weekends, just admire the gardens. Now, I'm not a gardener. Um, in the beginning, when uh, the hub was first going, I, was, I think I was in charge of, of watering the plants here. And about three weeks in, I realized two of these plants that I'm watering are actually plastic. Those were the ones that were doing well. (laughs) But anyway, I'm not a gardener, but I really appreciate a good garden. And I remember one time we went to this house, and we rocked up at the outside of the house, and we thought, now, this has got to be a mistake, because the house looked terrible. And, uh, but anyway, we checked the brochure, and it was the right address, so we went in, we went around the side of the house, and as we came through the gate, around the back there was this beautiful garden. And so the front looked totally different to the back. It was like a secret garden or a, you know, just this kind of hidden away garden. And for me, the book of Hebrews is, is similar. It's kind of like one of those books that in the beginning you find really difficult. You struggle to understand what's going on in the book. But the more you look at it and the more you understand what's going on, it really becomes an incredible book. And uh, that for me is what's taking place as I'm going through Hebrews. And I'm hoping this morning that uh, Hebrews is going to start opening up to you even more. The reason it can be a difficult book for Christians to read is because the book of Hebrews reveals Jesus in a way that no other book in the Bible does. It reveals Jesus as our high priest. And yes, other books may touch on the topic, but Hebrews majors on this topic. 
And, uh, and because a high priest is not someone that we uh, experience in our lives from day to day, um, and also it can be a concept that if we don't know anything about it, it can be really foreign to think of a temple and sacrifices and priests and garments and all this kind of thing. It can be so foreign to us that when we come to reading about Hebrews, we get to this part, we start reading about priests and that, and we think, man, I don't know what this means. So we just skip forward until we get to chapter 11, the heroes of the faith, and then we go, now this is more like it. I can get this. Noah and Abraham, they're all you know, exercising faith. But what I want to do is just explain the role of the high priest, what they do, how things, how they got into that position, and it's going to help us all the way now from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 10. We're going to have a look at, at various aspects of the priesthood which Jesus supersedes. And uh, so, so let's have a quick look uh, at a few verses from Hebrews. We'll read the last two or last three verses uh, from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, I think it's from verse 14 onwards. It says, So then, since we have such a great high priest uh, who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, and yet did not sin. So let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Then chapter 5, verse 1. I'll just read verse 1, and then I'll read verse 4 to 10. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with, loud, with, a, with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So I wonder if you think of Jesus as your high priest this morning. Just have a think. Is it a thought that crosses your mind? I think most, most of us would say, well, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but we very rarely think of him as our high priest. So in a nutshell, what this passage is saying, it's saying that Jesus is our high priest, and because of that, we should do two things. Number one, 
let us hold firmly to what we believe. And number two, let us approach the throne of God with boldness, where we will receive mercy and find grace when we need it. So let's have a look at what the high priest uh, was and what did he do. Um, in the Old Testament, which uh, if you're new to the faith, is the first section in your Bible, your Bible's in two halves, got the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if you're reading through the Old Testament, um, you'll see that God saved a group of people from slavery in Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt and he saved them. And the majority of this group, nearly all of them, were actually descendants of one family. You read about this guy in, uh, in the Old Testament called Abraham. He had a son, two sons. So one of them was Isaac, and Isaac had a son called Jacob. And Jacob had his name changed to Israel, and he had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the heads and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the nation of Israel is divided up into 12 groups, and they originate from those 12 sons that uh, Israel had. And uh, one of, uh, and so you've got these different tribes like Judah, uh, Reuben, Benjamin. So obviously Benjamin would be the Benjamites. And uh, then there was this one guy called Levi. And his tribe was known as the Levites. And God chose a specific job category for that one tribe. Pretty much the other tribes could have whatever jobs they wanted, but the Levites, God said, you guys are going to be priests. Like it or not, you're all priests, okay? I don't know if you've seen the bee movie. It's an animated movie, but there's this bee called Barry B. Benson. And when he's, when he's kind of reaches whatever age where he's got to pick a job, he has very limited choices, and, what, and they tell him, whatever job you pick is your job for life. There's no changing it. Well, he doesn't like any of the options. He wants to become a, a cool pollen jock, but he's not big enough. But anyway, the Levites had even less choice than Barry. They just, they had to be a priest. They could have grown up as the best carpenter in the whole of the nation. Nope, you've got to be a priest. You could be a uh, whatever, a, um, a farmer or whatever. You could be brilliant at farming, but no, nope, you had to be a priest. If you were a Levi, you were a priest no matter what. Okay. And the priests performed religious duties like presenting people's sacrifices. So, so people would come to the temple. They'd want to worship God. They brought an animal with them. They, they would bring that animal. They would sacrifice that animal and the priest would help them to actually make that sacrifice in the outer courts of the temple. So, Geordie, if you can just put up that picture of the temple, uh, just to give you an idea of what things look like. This is an artist's impression because it's a cutaway, <laughs> in case you were wondering. But that fire on the right-hand side is the brazen altar, and that's where they would actually offer the sacrifices and burn them up. At the bottom, there's a basin and, and smaller basins for washing. And then you get the temple itself with the first room, which is called the holy place. And then up the stairs beyond the curtain is the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, the, the public were allowed in these outer areas, but only priests were allowed in the 
first room, the holy place, and only the high priest was allowed in the back room in the uh, holy of holies or the most holy place, okay? So the priests performed these religious duties. They were also in charge of kind of the maintenance and the running of the, tem- the temple. Like all the bowls of water there, they, they, they were in charge of actually filling that. And uh, they were also in charge of music, worship that went on at, at the temple. Um, they, uh, and, and what happened is because the Levites were given this job description, God told the other 11 tribes, you guys have to support all the priests through your tithes because these guys couldn't go and get, they couldn't run the shop down the road and earn money or whatever. They had to be serving in the, in the temple. And they, although they were allowed a, a portion of some of the sacrifices that people made, you can't just live on a diet of meat. Okay, so the rest of the tribes tithed and then the priests could go into the market and buy their sun-dried tomatoes and their lentils and whatever else, their baklava and all sorts of other good things that they wanted, okay? Now, Moses, you all know about Moses. He had an older brother called Aaron and Aaron was chosen to be the high priest, which is basically the priest that's in charge of the priesthood and in charge of everything that goes on with temple worship, okay? All the sacrifices, he was in charge of the finances, of, you know, the budgeting or whatever they had to do. And in addition to this, the high priest had one specific task that no one else in the entire nation could do. And that was on a special day once a year, he went in right into the temple, through the curtain, into that holy of holy place, and he made a, an offering for the people on behalf of all of the nation. It's on the Day of Atonement. He went in there and he presented, there was a sacrifice that he made, and he took that offering in and he sprinkled some of the blood from that offering onto the Ark of the Covenant. And that offering uh, atoned for the sins of the nation for a year. But he had to keep going in every year and making that offering again and again and again. Every single year, he had to go in and atone for that nation. But before he went in, he had to make an offering for himself because he was a sinner, just like everyone else. And he had to get himself right before he came in and made this this offering on the Day of Atonement. In fact, it was such a dangerous thing, I could say, that uh, according to Jewish tradition, they used to tie a rope around the guy's leg and on his garment, Jordan, if you just bring up the next uh, picture of the high priest, you can see on the bottom of his garment is actually a bell and a fruit all the way around, all the gold little balls or bells and the other ones are fruit. I think it's a pomegranate. can't remember now offhand. But basically, while he's moving around, the bells are ringing. And they got the rope because no one else is allowed in there beyond the curtain. You go in there, you are instantly dead. Because in that first room, everything is overlaid with gold. And there are 10 what they call menorah, which are like these 
candlesticks, big candlesticks, and they light that first room. In the second room behind the curtain, there's no light at all. The only light is the glory of God that sits above the Ark of the Covenant. And so no one goes in there. You could not, you can't just decide, hey, I feel like talking to God. I want to worship God. Moses apparently spoke to God audibly. The, God's voice came from above the mercy seat. So when it says Moses spoke to God face to face, no one else could go in there. If you tried doing that, you wouldn't get one millimeter through that curtain and you'd be instantly dead. And so they tied this rope around the high priest because if he was kind of just had no regard for worshiping God or for whatever reason, he was in a bad place and God struck him down dead while he was trying to perform his duties. The people outside are listening. Okay, the bells are ringing, the bells are ringing. No more bells. Pull the rope a bit. Tug, tug, nap. He's dead. Pull him out. Because no one's going in there to fix, fetch him. Otherwise, there'd be two dead people in there. <laughs> so anyway, that's... But let's just have a look now at the high priest. That, that's just an illustration of him making that, uh, that offering beyond the curtain. I mean, the curtain was actually far more detailed than that picture is showing. But just have a look at what he's wearing, okay? We're going to just talk a little bit around that. Remember that the Old Testament is a pattern that points forward towards Jesus. So when you're looking at all of this stuff, all of this is in pattern form pointing towards Jesus. Okay? Just some other things about the high priest is that he was not allowed to have any contact with the dead or even be in close proximity to, to the dead. So if somebody died and the priest had to get involved, uh, the high priest was not allowed to be involved. Other priests could, but not the high priest. In fact, the high priest wasn't even allowed to mourn the dead. Uh, he wore special garments. He, uh, he couldn't function in his role if he had a physical deformity. Uh, he wasn't allowed. So if anything happened to him physically, he basically had to step, step down and, and someone else had to take his place. Yeah, he, he wasn't allowed to shave his head. So you know, you read in the Bible about Paul made a, made a vow and he shaved his head for some reason and then uh, later on he went and presented himself in the temple. Well, the high priest was not allowed to do that. He wore a breast piece, which is that uh, squarish gold square with all those uh, different colors. He wore a breast piece and on that breastpiece were 12 stones, precious stones, different types of stones. And on each stone, the name of one of the tribes was engraved onto that stone. And so what that's depicting is that when he goes in and he makes atonement for the nation, he carries the 12 tribes into the presence of God with him when he makes that offering. And, uh, and it hung on his shoulders, okay? So it hung uh, on his shoulders. There were chains that went over his shoulders. Underneath, underneath that breastpiece, that multicolored kind of apron type thing is called an ephod. And he, he wore that 
over his robe, and then the breastpiece kind of was fastened onto that ephod. He had a sash that tied it all around his waist. He wore a turban on his head, and then he had his robes uh, underneath, okay? Just have a look at this verse in Exodus chapter 28. You can leave that picture up. Exodus 28, verse 29 to 30. In this way, Aaron, who was the high priest at the time, will carry the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on the sacred chest piece over his heart when he goes into the holy place. This will be a continual reminder that he represents the people when he comes before the Lord. Insert the Urim and Thurim into the sacred chest piece. So somewhere in that, that chest piece, there were two other stones which were used to determine the will of God somehow. I'm not quite sure how, whether they glowed or something like that, whether it was like a yes or no. Should we go into battle? Yes or no. Should we do this? Yes or no. It was that kind of a thing. Um, and they also will be carried over Aaron's heart when he goes into the Lord's presence. In this way, Aaron will always carry over his heart the objects used to determine the Lord's will for his people whenever he goes in before the Lord. Now, think of Jesus, our high priest. In, in an even greater way, he brings the people of God into the presence of God. All those who are born again. And, and something else is all those stones are precious stones. They're not lumps of coal. They're not blocks of wood. In my mind, it would have been far more economical and easier to have 12 blocks of wood and engrave the names on wood. It's hard to engrave on a precious stone. <laughs> You're busy engraving. You've got another one of those rubies, right? Bring another one. You know, wood is very forgiving and you can work with it easier. But they're precious stones. And the reason is you and I are precious to God. You're not just some number. You're not just a block of wood or piece of stone. You're a precious. You are precious to the Lord. And so the high priest carries in the people of God into the presence of God. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the, the temple. Uh, let's just go back to that picture of the temple, George. So the other thing I want you to see is that there's kind of like a progression from the outer courts to the holy place to the holy of holies. The majority could be on the outside, which I suppose in their day was pretty amazing. Then you've got a select few that can go inside of that first room. And that first room must have looked amazing because the walls, the ceiling, and the floors were all overlaid in gold. There wasn't a single thing in that room that you looked at that wasn't gold. And if you can imagine the, those candlesticks lighting that room, it must have looked incredible. Imagine walking into a room where there's just carvings and there's all this stuff and it's just gold, shining gold everywhere you look. And it's, it would have been an amazing thing, but even more amazing would have been to go into the next room which is the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Those two big statues on either side, they are cherubim, which is a type of angelic being. And they these huge statues, also overlaid in gold. And the, the glory of God 
is the light in that room, the actual presence of God. But in the old covenant, only one person could get into that kind of presence of God. In the new covenant, all of us can get into that presence of God. But it's only because of Jesus. It's only because he is our high priest. You may have never realized this before, but every time you get up in the morning, you have a quiet time and you experience the presence of God, it's because of the high priest takes you in there. It's not because I can just somehow, God has changed his mind and now everyone's allowed to come into his lounge room and be with him. No, it's because of Jesus that we have access into the presence of God. Anyway, there's a lot more that we can talk about in this. But uh, I'm hoping that as we go through Hebrews, we'll be able to unpack more and more. So once a year, the high priest goes in, makes atonement for the nation. Atonement kind of means, it's a complex word, but it kind of means to make amends. When someone has done something wrong, to atone for that situation, you make amends to fix it to fix that relationship. Now, in this case, we have done the wrong, not God. But God fixes this, the problem. He's the one. He sacrifices his own son to fix the problem that we have and it atones for that situation and repairs the broken relationship. The difference is, unlike the high priest who had to go in every single year, and make that sacrifice, Jesus made one sacrifice, and that's enough for all eternity. Because the Old Testament sacrifice was an insufficient sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice is superior, totally superior. And we're going to come to that in the book of Hebrews, where we're going to see that Jesus is a superior high priest, he ministers in a superior temple, he makes a superior sacrifice, Everything about Hebrews is Jesus is superior. Jesus is greater. Jesus is awesome. Okay, so now that we've got a bit of a picture of the high priest and what he did, let me just make four points from the passage that we've read in Hebrews chapter 5. The first point is that the high priest originated from the people. Aaron was chosen from the people. He wasn't an outsider. He was chosen from the people. And that's because, and that symbolizes that there's a connection between the ministry of the high priest and the people that he's ministering on behalf of. It's not that this role is separate and distant. This, this isn't a role where once you get it, he disappears into the temple, no one ever sees it again. He's involved with the people. He's ministering on their behalf. He has the interests of the people on his mind. On his heart. The second thing is that the role of high priest involves offering gifts and sacrifices. That's part of the role. The high priest represents the people before God and he offers gifts and sacrifices to the Lord. You know, the, the high priest had to, had to make an offering for himself. I said that first and then made the offering for the people. Jesus didn't have to make an offering for himself, but 
He was tempted in every way so that he could identify with what we go through as humans here on earth, okay? It was a perfect sacrifice. Jesus also offers up prayer to God as a sacrifice. We offer up worship and prayer as, as a sacrifice of praise and prayer. Now let me just say this. The pattern of the Old Testament says two things about sacrifices and high priests and all that kind of thing. The first thing is that without a sacrifice, there is no approaching God. And I want to say nothing's changed. We don't think about this today. We think when, when we spend time with God, we hardly think a sacrifice was made to make this possible. It's not just, we kind of think God's just changed his mind. As long as we call ourselves a Christian, hey, come into my presence. No, we, no one can come into the presence of God without a sacrifice. Old Testament and New Testament, it's still the same. The sacrifice is different, but there was a sacrifice made that makes it possible for us to come into the presence of God. And the second thing is that without a priest, there's no offering gifts to God. We can't just walk up to God with a gift in our hand and think, I'm just going to come into the presence of God. I'm going to put this on God's lap. Only a priest could offer a gift to God. Christianity is impossible without a priest and a sacrifice. And Jesus fulfills both of these requirements. He is our high priest and he is the sacrifice. And both of those together mean that we can come boldly into the presence of God. The third thing is this. The high priest deals gently with people. I said it before. Before offering the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, Aaron or whoever the high priest was had to make a sacrifice for himself. Because he knew all too well he's human. He has sins. And, and ministering as a priest... Sometimes people would come and maybe share the most horrendous things. Say, look, I've got to make the sacrifice to God. This is what I've done. And the high priest dealt gently with people. In fact, the, the word actually means he's not shocked. He's not shocked when someone comes and says, this is what I've done. Because he knows he could be in their position. He could just as easily have done the very same thing. And th this is the same with Jesus as our high priest. He deals gently with us because he was tempted in every way. He knows what we're going through. So when you come to Jesus and when you're confessing sins, don't ever think, man, if I say this, if I confess this sin, God is going to be shocked. He won't be because he knows what it's like to be tempted. He never sinned, but he knows what it's like. And then the last thing is that God is the one who appoints the high priest. The office of the high priest is not elected by a democratic vote. In fact, you won't see democracy in the Bible. It's a theocracy. God is in charge or his king, whoever he decides, is in charge. It's never the people vote in their leader or whatever. And in the case of a high priest, Aaron didn't say, hey, I, I would like that job. I think I'm a candidate. I'm Moses's right-hand man here. Yeah. I've been interpreting for him. No, no. God chose him. And uh, 
And every subsequent high priest had to be chosen by the Lord. And it's the same with Jesus. You would think God's obvious choice, or you would think that Jesus would just assume, hey, I'm God's son. I'm the perfect man for the job. I've got it. No, the Father had to choose him. And that's why it says, today I've become your father, and today you're a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. God chose him for that position. But here's the thing. Jesus is not a high priest in the Levitical order of priests, in the descendants of Aaron, okay? Jesus is not a Levite, not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is from a different order of priesthood, a far superior order, which is the order of Melchizedek. I'm not going to talk about that because that's going to come up in a future message. But just so you know, there's a difference in the priesthood, in the, in the high priestly ministry of Jesus. Okay, hopefully this given, has given you a little bit of insight as to what goes on with high priests and sacrifices and temples and that kind of thing. In light of all of this, what has the passage told us to do? In light of Jesus being our high priest, we should do two things. Number one, hold fast to our confession. Hold fast to what we believe about Jesus. And number two, we should approach God. We should approach the throne of God with boldness. What's the point of having a high priest and a sacrifice and then saying, oh, that's nice, but you never go in <laughs> to be with God. Every, every Israelite would have given their, you know, their right eye to go into that temple and see what's going on in there. I mean, they were probably talking to the priests. What does it look like in there? Trying to get information because they would never allowed to see it. But we have a high priest that takes us not just into that first room, into the second, into the very place where the glory of God is. And because of that, we should approach God's throne. We should approach Him. Not sit there and think, oh, someone else can do that. Amen? Anyway, let's, uh, let's stand and end in prayer.